This is Rebel Parenting. Hello, Rebel Parents. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Rebel Parenting. For our U.S. listeners, we hope you had a great Thanksgiving. And to everyone else, we hope you had a great week. Our guest today is a breath of fresh air. Carrie Wilkerson, a.k.a. the Barefoot Executive, is inspiring, funny, and she has just enough tough love to keep us all on track to accomplish our biggest goals and dreams. Carrie is a New York Times bestselling author with appearances on CNN and Fox Business News. She has consulted for Dr. John Maxwell and the late, great Zig Ziglar. Whenever I listen to Carrie, I get inspired to do big things, and our hope is that she inspires you in the same way. Please enjoy the Barefoot Executive, Carrie Wilkerson. Carrie, thank you so much for being here. I know you've got a busy schedule. I see you on Twitter. You've got a billion fans, <laughs> and they're clamoring for you. So thanks for joining us today to talk about all these things, about working from home and balance in life. We appreciate you being here. Thanks so much for having me. Definitely. I do have to ask, and I hope I'm not the eight millionth person that's asked this, are you barefoot now? I'm absolutely barefoot, and almost every single person asks me. So it's okay. <laughs> that is perfect. <laughs> I am not clever in any way, shape, or form. It's so great to know that. <laughs> well, I work at home, and so unless I'm going back and forth to drop off kids or pick up kids or, you know, whatever, I mean, I'm going to work how I'm comfortable. Now, I, I do air uh, in the, in, I would say not air. I do vary from a lot of work at home folks in that I'm not hanging out in my pajamas. I'm not hanging out in the <laughs> pants. I do get up and dress, hmm. but I, I do save shoes for general public. I, not for the house. Nice. Good for you. So Carrie, could you tell us a little bit about, um, where this came from, where you're, you got that nickname barefoot executive. Just sh- share with us a little bit where this all came from. Yeah. So, um, well, you know, my, my dad and my grandfather have made fun of me for my whole life for, you know, kicking my shoes off everywhere, for going out to the hot concrete barefoot, you know, against advisement, for having tough feet, for curling my toes around the dining room table when I was in the high chair, you know. Um, so that's just part of me and part of who I am. Mm. But when I was, when I was working, my business at home. I want to say it was 2003 because maybe early 2004, I was very, very pregnant with my third child, but it was my first pregnancy. Um, I was running a a high six-figure business. I was working with contractors all over the United States, Mm -hmm. even on dial-up internet, if you can even imagine, (laughs) and kind of pioneering a digital space, a virtual service business space. And I was coming down the steps one day and I was just huge and pregnant. And when I say huge, I mean huge. I was I was 258 when I delivered her. That yeah. was those were during my bigger years. Yeah. So, I was big and pregnant and barefoot in in overalls probably coming down the stairs. And my husband just, you know, was kind of emotional but laughing at the same time. And I said, "What are you laughing about?" He said, "You know, I know other southern guys would say, let's keep them home barefoot and pregnant where they belong." He said, "But the fact is, you're barefoot and pregnant and running this crazy good empire and you've really got everything you ever wanted he said Mm. you have to tell other people how they can be a barefoot executive too Mm. and so I wrote in my journal that day write a book called the barefoot executive and that was in spring of 2004 Uh, the book didn't materialize till 2011 because I was so busy we added another child (laughs) we added more businesses Um, but that's where that started from my husband called me the barefoot executive so when I started a website 
that's what I called it, just to see if people, you know, resonated with that. And it wasn't about working on the beach, and it wasn't, you know, a lifestyle entrepreneur type thinking. It really was how do we, how do we stay and do and respect what's close to our heart, which for me was my kids and my family and my mm-hmm. home, yeah. and still and still feel like we're honoring the Lord with our gifts and being profitable and helping, you know, with the finances and uh, contributing in a, in a different way. So that's what it was about for me was, mm. you know, my life, my business, and my way. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I like it. And, you know, it seems like so much of what you've got is based on positivity, you know, with carry on. And when you decide just make a decision, you're going to lose weight or you're going to write a book. And, you know, we just had an election, you know, a few weeks ago, and there's so much negativity. I think that's one of the big draws you have. Do you get that from a lot of your success stories, the people that you're coaching, that you're getting stories from the book where it's, they just need some encouragement. They need someone to tell them that they're okay, that they can do it. And even when you mess up, you can pick yourself up and you can keep going again. Yeah. You know, I fought that for a long time. I fought that label. I fought the motivational label and the the cheerleader label, and then one day on Twitter, some troll said to me, "All you are is a glorified cheerleader." Mm. And it didn't make it didn't make me mad. I said, "You know what? You're absolutely right. You're <laughs> absolutely right. I am, and that's okay. It's what I'm gifted with. It's what I've always done." And then another word was spoken, kind of over me, when uh, Zig Ziglar spoke at my event here in Dallas. It was one of his mm. last live events. Mm. And wow. as he left, as he left, he said to me, Carrie, you have to encourage people. Your next book, make it encouragement. People are hurting and they need you. Now, as a business coach, my first thought was, how do you monetize encouragement? How yeah. do I pay yeah, my exactly. bills with encouragement? And, um, you know, I finally came to the realization that I can still give business advice and I can still give practical productivity advice while encouraging people and while loving on people. And I got to tell you that right now in social media, right now in our world is a hard, hard time. It's a a tough time. People are super quick to correct and condemn. Mm. And no matter what side we're on, it's coming from every side. There is no safe space. So my goal is to be a safe space where people are super clear on what my priorities are and what my faith is and, and where I stand, but they know I love them and they know I believe in them regardless. And so, yeah, I just kind of planted my flag there in that cheerleader encouragement space, I guess. And how, how for you, um, I'm just going to go back a little bit. How did you, how did you end up getting there? I know a tiny bit of your story, um, but how did you end up just taking that stand? Um, I think I see so many people doing just the opposite that, mm. um, well, well, to the point of rebel parenting, right? I just kind of went, huh, I, I don't have to accept this, the status quo. That's right. People need a positive voice. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my mentors, um, Mary Kay Ash, even though I never met her, I studied her. I was in her company when she was still alive. She said, if today one woman realizes how great she is, then today for Mary Kay is a good day. Mm. And I thought, you know, if today one person on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or my neighborhood or my kid's school or on my drive, if one person is uplifted with a smile or, 
you know, a, a card or a gift certificate or a thought that I post or a comment that I leave one person, then today's a great day. I don't want to tell the starfish story, right? We, the starfish story has right. been told to death, but, but the fact is I can make a difference with that one, right? Sure. I can make a difference with that one person. Yeah. So, Carrie, talk about balance. That's something Laura and I talk about on the program a lot and in our lives a lot. You know, we work together, we homeschool, you know, we've got all this stuff going on. How do you balance your life so that your family doesn't feel like second place? That, you know, you're not on the phone all the time when you're with your kids. It's like, oh, no, I'm with my kids. I'm just doing email, too. I know that's not your belief. So how do you balance those roles? Well, I think that balance is a myth, honestly. I don't think there is true balance. When, when we think about, sorry, when we think about balance, we think about a tightrope walker, right? It's so stressful. That is a stressful place. I really love the thought of rhythm. We're a musician family, so, so let's talk about rhythm. And, and sometimes rhythm is faster, and sometimes it's slower, and sometimes it's louder, and sometimes it's softer, but it works. And so I think what's important is not to get caught up in the fastest rhythm possible all the time, but when you're on the same page and when you have family meetings, when everybody's clear on what the priorities of the household are, and that means, Mm -hmm. you know, faith first, family second, career last, but that doesn't mean that that gets to be the order of every minute because we do still need to pay the bills and we do still need to clean the house, and that doesn't mean the child gets their whim or their way at that moment. Um, You know, when everybody's on the same page, then we can schedule together, we can plan together, and we can agree together. And so my kids know they don't get me every minute, but they get me for the minutes that matter. They get me for the events that matter. So some of the ways we do that um, my, that was my next that question. Was our How do you, how do, you do, that? do that? I mean, is it a schedule? Gotcha. Is it a rigid schedule? Is it a sliding schedule? Gotcha. How do you do that so yes. your kids know they know what to expect and what not to expect? Yeah, so that's that's a great question. So what we do, my kids are all over the map. They're 9, 12, 19, and 21. Two wow. still in the house, one coming and going, and one a working adult. And so the way we do that and the way we've always done that, because I've worked at home for 19 years, is that, you know, we may look at a marching band schedule, which will just absolutely dominate your summer and fall. And we'll say, okay, we cannot be um, at every single game when I, because my husband, he actually travels a lot too. He travels, you know, about 80% of the time in the fall and the spring. And so, you know, which games are the most important? Which competitions? I can't go to every single prelim competition, exhibition, and Okay, which are the important ones, Emily? Which are the ones sure. that matter to your heart? Mm-hmm. Let's circle those on the calendar. Those are off limits for gigs, for travel, for consulting. Okay, Katie is a musical theater performer. Katie, the shows and the rehearsals that are coming up, which shows? She did 39 Christmas shows last year, Thanksgiving oh and Christmas Eve. Yeah, she was in a show with Casa Yana, a regional theater in Fort Worth. There was 39 commitments. I said, babe, opening night's a no-brainer. Of course I'm going to be at opening night, and of course I'm going to be at the close. Which shows do you want us to bring friends and family to? Which mm-hmm. shows are more important to you? Because some of those parents go to every single 
show and dress rehearsal. Yeah. Not only do I think that is extremely imbalanced, but when are we teaching kids that there's a safe independence in there? I mean, seriously, yeah. you can only see Frosty the Snowman so many times. Yeah. You can only see the Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz was the spring before. I can only see it so many times, sister. Got the T-shirt, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm at a max. So I let every kid set priorities on different events, and then those become pretty sacred. You know, we have a sacred timeout on Sundays. That's our family sabbatical. That's, you know, we very few things get planned on Sundays. We don't travel on Sundays. And so it works. So I know I've missed some games, wow. uh, Emily, some, some marching bands, but she will tell you my mom has never missed because what she means is I've never missed the ones that are important to her. And so that's kind of how we schedule. Now, we're also not the family like that the birthday is super sacred. We don't do the celebrate for 24 hours on the birthday because we, with four kids <laughs> and yeah. two adults. What are you going to do? Six days. Right. So we'll say, hey, you know, um, April is kind of a crazy busy month for dads usually. So when are we going to set aside to celebrate for the mm. birthday? recognizing it may not be on the day, it may be that weekend, or it may be a trip, or it may be whatever. So I think the problem comes, you guys, when there is unmet expectation, and that's when resentment builds, both with kids and parents and spouses and friends. So when you have the hard conversations first, mm -hmm. set down some, some ground rules, set down some expectations, then you make sure you meet the expectations that you set. Same with clients. My clients know not answering unscheduled calls from them. Mm. They, I don't do unscheduled calls. I do set appointments. Um, you can text me if you have a 911, and then we can try to get you on the calendar. But the fact is, I'm not answering the phone in the middle of a movie or in a drive with my kids or, you know, when I'm with other clients. I'm just not, you know, unless we're dealing with kidneys or bone marrow. It's probably not vital yeah. right yeah. now, yeah. and it can wait. So, so it's a matter of training everybody. It's a matter of setting expectations, and that that helps. I think now this is going to be a little controversial. I, I'm okay. known for tough love. I don't know. I don't know if you guys know that or not. <laughs> um, I think a lot of times we use quote unquote the search for balance and the family first phrase as an excuse to not step into a bigger responsibility or a bigger serving or to excuse ourselves from doing what we should be doing. Mm. Mm. Unpack that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what I mean by that is um, I work with a lot of home-based business owners and their business might be supplemental to a primary income, maybe a spouse income, maybe to a you know, an alimony or child support or retirement income or whatever. So it's kind of optional. Well, really, they started it because it was flexible, but then it becomes optional because, oh, my kids have me so busy doing this, this, and this. Or, oh, I can't come to that company conference or training event because it's my son's birthday. Or, oh, you know, I just feel like I've been working all the time, so I'm imbalanced. I need to pull back and put family first. When really, if you're doing your priorities right on a day-to-day -day basis, some short-term sacrifice here and there doesn't have a devastating impact. Mm. The devastating impact is in the excuses and the resentment and the not having the, excuse me, the conversations. So um, I really believe some people, and I'm not saying everyone, but sure. I think some people are saying, you know, I, I need more balance, I need more balance, I need more balance. 
when really, let's look at balancing the work time you do have. How much time are you spending on social? How much time are you spending being passive instead Mm -hmm. of being active? If we're more active with the time that we do have allotted, then we can compartmentalize and not take those phone calls when we're with our kids and be more diligent with our schedule because we're respecting ourselves and we're respecting our shareholders. Well, I love what you were just talking about in some of your books about just not being a victim, not being a victim to your schedule, not being a victim to your weight and, and all those things. So say say there's people out there listening like, okay, yeah, I'm ready to jump in. I'm done. I want something different. What would you suggest? I know we've been talking a lot about like how to do these things. What would you suggest to that person? Like, okay, they're committed now. Um, where, where should they start? I think it's starts with a conversation with your shareholders, and your shareholders are your immediate family, the people that support you. If you don't have a family, it would be, you know, your roommate or the people closest to you. You have a meeting and say, this is what I would like to do. This is what I feel called to pursue. And so this would be maybe how some things are changing. So let's talk a little bit about expectations and what this might mean, what Mm. might be reasonable, what might even be unreasonable. Mm. And you have to start there. Too many times we get in runner mode, like, oh, this is what I want to do. I'm going to go do this, and then we'll figure it out later. When really, um, I I have to believe that when the disciples were called to leave their vocations and pack up and go, I have to believe they had to have some conversations with some folks first. (laughs) You know, I have to think that, that there has to be a plan somewhere. So I think maybe that's first. The second thing is looking at the calendar, being proactive instead of reactive, looking in the calendar, what's coming up in your life, what's coming up in your bills, what are your obligations, uh, what have you got going on, what time are you going to devote to this thing, what are you willing to do? A lot of times we say, what's that going to take? No, that's not the question. Mm. The question is, what am I willing to do? We've got yeah. the questions wrong. Oh, like yeah, that. that question was asked at Pentecost, the one, what are you going to do now? <laughs> I love yeah. that. yeah. People ask me all the time, Carrie, how did you lose so much weight? What's it going to take? And I say, no. The question is, what are you willing to do? And then I can tell you what it's going to take. Tell me what you're willing to do, and I'll give you a plan that fits in with that. Paying off your debt. I'm sure, you know, Dave Ramsey has heard this 100,000 times. What's it going to take? No. What are you willing to do? What are you willing to put out? What are you willing to give up? What are you willing to balance? You know, paying off debt, everybody knows, is a matter of imbalance. for a little while, but it's because you've been living imbalanced. So Mm. sometimes imbalance is necessary to correct a prior imbalance. Um, So I think the question is, what am I willing to do, Mm. and why am I only willing to do that, and then be okay with it, and then you can move forward with your calendaring, with your expectations, and then it comes to a point of what promises are you going to make to yourself and your shareholders. Mm -hmm. We've got to quit breaking our promises to ourselves and our shareholders. (laughs) Amen. Yeah, I like that. We just went through a training and talked a lot about promises, about showing up where you say you will, making everything important if you put your word behind it. If you say, I'm going to be here at 5, be there at 5. 505, 502 is a broken promise. And if it is, recognize that it's a broken promise and acknowledge it and then move on from there. How do you teach people to do that? Because we're so used to being able to break promises like, well, you know, I feel really bad. And so I'm just going to, you know, uh, Jen Hatmaker the other day said she eats her feelings. And I I was so thrilled that she said that because so many people do. I'm not excusing it, but how do you get off of that so it doesn't become a cycle? You know, you've made a decision. I'm going to lose weight and you're doing really good. And then one day it just 
the weight of the world hits you, you eat a bunch of your feelings. How do you then change it for the next day? Because it's so much easier to break a promise the second time than the first. Yep. You know? Yeah, so the, so it comes down to you have to, you have to be so self-aware. You have to be painfully self-aware. <laughs> why am I about to break this promise? Yeah. Wait a minute. Why? Why am I about to make this choice? I have literally, I have literally had like cake or something in my mouth. Like I kind of unconsciously in my mouth had the conversation in my head and literally spit it out. Now I'm yeah. not talking about binging and purging. I'm talking about an immediate like, oh, 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 uh-uh, nope. So you have to be so self-aware. I think it's a matter of keeping your goals in front of you. People that are big affirmations sayers, like, you know, put it on the post-it notes, put it in front of you, put scripture around you. Yeah. It's so that we can remind ourselves because yeah. our brains are so busy. We, we really do. Like, I'll find myself reaching into the bag of chips while I'm packing lunches for the kids and automatically, like, one headed to my mouth before, before I, like, visually stop it. Like, what are you doing? You know, mm-hmm. Why is that so unconscious? So I think the important thing is don't beat yourself up, but mm-hmm. do be self-aware. Why am I breaking this promise? Am I stressed? Am I tired? Why, why am I not thinking this promise matters? I made a promise, and my word is important. Am I choosing what I want now over what I want most? Mm. I like that. And, I... And, and, what, and that's not original to me. I mean, that's, right. that's yeah. probably a Ziggler or a, a Tony Robbins or a somebody else, but I'm saying we have to say that to ourselves out loud. Guys, I'll just be frank. The other day I was making my bed and, um, and chewing myself out about my own book deadline. Chewing myself out, like having a client conversation. I said, okay, I'm going to treat you like a client. Anybody in the house would have thought I was insane. Luckily, I was alone. But now, of course, I'm telling the world, hello, world. Um, I'm like, if you were your own client, you would have already wrapped yourself up and down for this. You are making excuses and breaking promises to yourself about this deadline. Why are you doing this? What are you choosing? You know this is best for now, and you're choosing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know this is best for long term, and you're choosing the now. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. So we really do have to have these conversations sure. with ourselves, and we have to say what I want most is more important than what I want now. And, guys, this goes back to when you're making purity vows, mm. when you're making parenting vows, Um I had a week last week. My husband was gone the majority of the week. I've got a ho- uh, I've got two girls, nine and twelve, that are still here at the house. It was one of those hard parenting weeks. Yeah. Digitally, I'm having to interface digitally. You know, like texting rules and <laughs> we're texting and getting other parents involved and having those conversations. And then, you know, at school, having to interface on some things. And these are great kids. These are amazing kids. And still. By the end of the week, my husband walks in the door, and I broke into tears. Yeah. He said, well, what's the matter? And I said, no, I'm trying not to be that woman that, like, dumps on you the minute you walk in the door. But what I am going to say is the reason we have so many kids that are poorly parented is because intentional, conscious, biblical parenting is exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. It's exhausting, and it's such a, a like on guard every minute. And and goal setting is the same way, and being your own boss is the same way. Mm-hmm. You have mm-hmm. to kind of be on having the conversation, self questioning, and self aware. It's so much easier to let the little terrorists 
win when there's a problem. To let the other parent bully you into, you know, whatever the is you're having the conflict about. To let the school win or just give up. It's so much easier, but we're not in it for the easy. We're in it for what's best long term. And with parenting, we're raising adults. Period. Yeah. Period. yeah, I like it. And I like that you're talking about having client conversations with yourself because you're taking out shame and guilt and, you know, you're a bad person and all the identity. It's just, hey, if a coach was talking to you, they would talk this way. Why are you choosing the temporal over the long term? Why are you choosing short term over what you know what's best over the long term? And you can have that conversation with yourself without beating yourself up. You're not saying, oh, look what a bad person you are. Look you know what you're doing to yourself and you've broken your promises, but it's the, Hey, it's time to get back on track again. You know, it's what a coach would do. Right. So I love what you were just talking about, about shifting your mindset. Cause, cause I, I too believe that most of the troubles we get into today is with the beliefs we have. So how, um, when you're saying you're going to set your mindset and I loved how you just talked about that conversation, but what are some other ways that you've just shifted your mind to, um, shifted your mindset? Well, I think, you know, probably many of our moms used this term when we were younger, garbage in, garbage out, when they were trying to control the music we listened to or the other kids we hung around or the TV that we watched. My parents were very strict. Thanks to your dad, Ryan. I know. (laughs) Right? Ultra ultra strict. (laughs) It's my fault. I tell kids all the time, if you got spanked growing up, it was probably my sister's fault. There you go. There you go. So, um... You know, um, we had a very, you know, my mom was always garbage in, garbage out, birds of a feather hang together, every cliche you can think about. So um, I think that's even more important that you become an adult. Mm, Like, who are you spending time with? Who is pouring into your brain? Even if you think you're pretty strong, it still affects you, especially somebody like me. I'm a high empathetic, high, high, high. Mm -hmm. I mean, I... Like, social media the last couple of weeks uh, all around this time has just really wrecked me. I just have to walk away. Oh, yeah. I, I yep. can, I, I'm not conflict-wired. I have a brother, the oldest in our house, who loves cognitive dissonance, and he loves to debate just because, and he loves conflict. And it challenges him, and it, it beats me down and wears me out. I just cannot do all the conflict. So I think being aware of those things, being aware of what music you're listening to, being aware of what you're reading, um, and not only just deflecting the negative, but embracing the positive. Mm. Reading strong things on purpose, watching strong things on purpose, listening to powerful things on purpose, memorizing certain scriptures on purpose, and, and that even breaks into like who we invite over for dinner. Totally. We don't yeah, we don't tend to spend time with people just because we are very intentional about who we go out with, you know, and oh, yeah. we allow our children to be around and who I work with as clients. Very, very guarded and very, very careful. Not that, you know, not that we don't have friends that are different than us. That's yes. not it. Yeah. But if somebody is toxic and negative and a drag and defeating or critical, I just can't. I can't be breaking bread with you in my off time. That yeah. causes yeah. more. That causes more imbalance in my brain than anything else. But if you surround yourself with like-minded, goal-oriented people, um, no matter what their goals are, I mean, somebody that's working on their body is still goal-oriented, even if you're working on paying off debt 
you know, yeah. and, and somebody that's working on their spiritual life actively is goal-oriented, even if what your goal is is working on your marriage. Yeah, so yeah. Um, I, I think being intentional helps your mindset a lot. People will say, Carrie, how did you get such a strong mindset? Were you born that way? Well, no, I, I don't know that anybody was born that way. And <laughs> I didn't grow up in a house full of goal-setters, honestly, and I didn't grow up in an overly encouraging and positive house. It wasn't overly negative. It just was you know, kind of protective and sure. middle of the road and better to err on the side of not losing than on the side of, like, overly winning. Sure. Um, you know, those kind of things. But I think we can absolutely control our mindset. It's like a muscle. And the more we work it out, then the stronger it gets uh-huh. and, oh, and so the better we can handle it. Yeah. yeah. Carrie, thank you so much for being here. We really do appreciate it. It's just been so informative and so encouraging, and I think it's going to really inspire a lot of our listeners. We appreciate you. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Anytime, just let me know. Thank you, Carrie. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling your friends. Join us again next week for another episode of Rebel Parenting. For more information on Rebel Parenting and Carrie Wilkerson, head to our website, rebelparenting.org.